After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. Welcome to Greater Good Radio Hawaii, where leaders inspire leaders. Greater Good Radio Hawaii is dedicated to social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Evan Leong, and with me is my co-host, Carrie Leong. Thank you, Evan. Today's guest is Admiral R.J. Zapp Zlatiper. Community involvement is deeply entrenched in his heart and mind, serving in more than half a dozen education and community-oriented organizations as member of the Board of Directors or as trustee. He has received numerous honors and accolades during his tenure with the United States Navy and has performed equally well at the helm of several private sector companies. In the year 2000, he became the 24th trustee of the estate of James Campbell after years of serving the military and the high technology sector. Please welcome to Greater Good Radio, Admiral R.J. Zapp Zlatiper. Welcome to our show, R.J. Zapp Zlatiper. Hi, it's such a tongue twister to say Zlatiper, but that's such an awesome name. Uh -huh. um, so, you know, cats have nine lives, and it seems like you've had a few yourselves. Could you tell us about the many things that you've been involved in for your career? I'm talking about just a quick chronological swing? Sure. I've been through four careers, and I think I'm about to start on my fifth. I, and by that, I, I started out in the Navy as a Navy pilot, flew on aircraft carriers for probably 25 years, and then essentially became a senior officer in the Navy and a staff officer, if you will, an operational guy, and then served about 10 years as an admiral and 12 of those years in Washington, so I'm a bureaucrat guy. And then after I uh, finished my Navy career, I went back to the mainland because I couldn't find anything to allow me to stay out here at the moment. And I ran a software company, took them public, and we, it was a really exciting three and a half years. And then lo and behold, I had a great opportunity to make my fourth career move, if you will, and come back out here as the uh, trustee for the Campbell Estate, and now I'm a real estate guy. In the Navy as an admiral, what's the difference, do you think, that separates admirals from, I guess, the rest of the bunch? Everyone wants to be admiral, I would assume. I think a lot of it is, as I used to say, is luck. And by that, I mean in pretty much everything in life. You know, there are two things you can control in life, I've always said, and that's your attitude and your effort. And uh, everything else is sort of the right place at the right time. And the admiral side, I think you can make, earn a captaincy, an 06 level. But when you move up to admiral, you have to sort of be lucky enough to be the guy that gets chosen because you have some certain skill. In fact, Evan, it's interesting. I was the, the chairman of uh, the selection committee for one board when I was a four-star admiral. We, we picked 26 new admirals, one-stars every year. And I chaired that board, and we had 1,125 captains that we were going to consider. We could only pick 26. It was very easy to go through records and get down to that last 90. You know, the, the, they sort of stood out from everyone else on, on their effort and their attitude. But to go from 90 down to 26, it was really a tough cut. And when we made the announcement, I got to talk to all the new admirals when they came back to town. I said, you know, congratulations on your selection, but I'd like to tell you that if we had thrown away the 26 of you and picked number 27 through 52, I don't think the Navy ever would have noticed and the nation wouldn't have either. It's that 
so just happened to be lucky. And by luck, I mean the year that I picked people, we needed financial managers. So if you had a background in financial management, that helped you. If we needed operational people because we had something going on in Iraq, then that would help. How many admirals are there at once? Uh, in the U.S. Navy, there are about, surprisingly, some 120 different admirals, maybe five or six or four stars about 15 to 20 or, uh, or three stars. And then the remainder, maybe another 100 or so, are so, uh, Do you still think it's luck three. to get from that 26 to the four? Well, I, I don't think it's luck at all. I think, uh -huh. I think it's skill and, and hard work, but I think you also have to have a modicum of being in the right place at the right time. When I say luck, it's, it, I happen to have had a master's degree that, where I had a finance uh, right. background. So it, it helped me because that was at a time that they were looking for finance people. And so it certainly wasn't luck in that sense, but it was fortunate that I had that background. Cause there's no question. What are the traits that you're seeing in the 26 admirals and then the four admirals that make it to the next level that maybe they all share, but maybe others may not? I think it's pretty much the same traits that you see anybody excel in, in business in general or any large organization. It's, integrity is a very big part of it. A lot of motivation to work a lot of foresight, and just good management practices. It's interesting, uh, this drifts a little away from the specific question, but I think it comes back to it, Evan. I sat down and kept track of the different, quote, management systems that I operated, 33 years I spent in the Navy, in the different management systems. We had the five-year defense plan, we had the planning, programming, budgeting system, we had total quality management, we had a zero-based budgeting, and we had about seven or eight different management systems that we applied during the time that I spent in the Navy. They changed with every administration, with new secretaries of defense, and yet they all had some common units. So I came up with what I called the Zlatifer management system, and it sort of fits into all of those. And that was, I don't care whether it was Deming's 14 points for total quality management or the seven steps of Stephen Covey's effective leaders, they all sort of fell into what I felt was a common ground, and that was four points. And that is, you, make, you have a goal, you make a plan, you work hard, and you take care of your people. And by taking care of people, it's not just the people that work for you, but the people that work with you and your bosses. So you keep your bosses happy, you keep your peers happy. And by that, I mean not giggling happy, but satisfied that you're, you're being a productive team member and you take care of the men and women that work for you to make sure that they have a chance to move up and sort of stand on your shoulders and move on. So those four points. And I, th I think that's the common thing that I saw in all those people that made the first step up to the four star. You know, it's interesting. Uh, this might drift a little from the way we were talking. You, you started this question, but I also was the chief of personnel for the Navy assigned all the flag officers and all this type of thing and I therefore when we pick the 26 new flag officers every year they come back to Washington they spend a week we call it knife and fork school where they give them briefings on areas they might not have already heard things and how how the system works at the flag officer level and then I was the one guy that came in and gave them the only and everyone would preface it by saying congratulations you've reached the epitome of your your command and your, your dedication to the military here and this is your service promotion uh, I was the one guy that delivered them bad news. And by that, I mean, I came in and I said, congratulations on your selection, but I, I'm the chief of personnel, and I'm going to tell you that of the 26 of you, all but about six of you are going to retire in five years or less. 
because you're one-star admirals and we're only going to pick, in, in a year and a half, we're going to pick 40% of you or maybe 50% to be two-star admirals. And from that, then we're going to pick two or three to be three-star admirals. And so don't worry about your second star, your third star, your fourth star. Worry about doing the best job you can. Right now, as a one-star, I guarantee you'll get the best shot to be a two-star or three-star. And guess what? When you retire, no one's going to know how many stars you had. They're just going to know my grandfather was an admiral in the Navy. And, and so that was the, the thing I always felt. And it, it applies even now, no matter what you do, whether you're doing it here in Hawaii or in Washington, D.C., in the military. But whatever it is, do, your, do something that you're excited about doing and then do your best. And I can almost guarantee you that people will recognize that and then you'll be able to move up from that. Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for more on Greater Good Radio. After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. Audi sell his company to Akamai Technologies for $3 billion. Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who donates 6% of sales to make more money? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. How do you get 100 stores and 100 million in sales in less than 10 years? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who raised $50,000 in a few weeks for the tsunami relief? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. And all while benefiting the community. GreaterGoodRadio.com You're listening to Greater Good Radio Hawaii. Please visit us online at GreaterGoodRadio.com. Today's guest is Admiral R.J. Zapps Latiper. What's the best example that you've seen of your four management principles actually coming through and, and creating results? Well, you can't four. go anywhere without a plan, a goal. You have to have a goal. Like your own personal experience My where it, you applied it, it worked. Maybe yeah. a story for that. Good. Well, my, my whole story, I ended up as a four-star admiral, but my goal when I came into the Navy has been a, a series of steps. My initial goal was to get into flight training and become a Navy pilot. Mm -hmm. And I managed to obtain that. It took me two years, and, and I worked very hard. And, it's, and maybe as a side note on that, I, the Navy said, you know, if you work very hard, you get at the, at the top of your aviation class, you'll get your choice. And... I was at the top of my graduating class in aviation school, and they didn't give me my choice because there weren't any slots. I wanted to go fly F-8 fighters, and they didn't have any of those slots available that week that I came up, so they put me in a thing called an A-6, which was very depressing to me because it was an ugly airplane. It was a new airplane. It was a jet that flew off of aircraft carriers. It turned out to be a marvelous airplane for me. I, I flew it the whole 30 years that I was in the Navy. And so it worked out well. There was almost a Celestine prophecy to this, and that, that fits back into it. I had a goal, and I, and I had a plan, was to get to that next level, was work hard at school and uh, get through flight training and take care of people. The only people I had were classmates at the time. And I became a Navy pilot. Then my next goal was to become the commanding officer of a squadron. And I worked hard at that, and I, I did the jobs that I had, and they sort of fed into that. And once I became the commanding officer of a squadron, I said, I'd like to be an air wing commander. So I had a, situ a, a group of personal goals, 
but they never interfered with what was my real goal, which was to make the squadron that I was in the best squadron in the Navy. And then when I got to an air wing, to make that the best air wing in the Navy, so all of us uh, benefit from that. And then when I became an admiral, I had a carrier battle group to get have us all work together to be the best carrier battle group. So it wasn't a personal kind of thing. And then the promotions just sort of came along. You said your ultimate goal was to make your group or your squadron the best. Yes. But when you made your goals or those little steps to getting to a certain position, how did you know you wanted to be in that position? Is it because somebody was a mentor and they made such an impact on your life? You said, you know, that's something that I'm interested in. Yes. The short answer, Gary, was I had mentors along the whole way. I always had someone that I worked for or with that I really respected that I could sit down and talk and, and, and say, I would like to be that like that person. My first commanding officer was a guy who I still stay in touch with to this day. We email almost on a daily basis. And uh, a guy named Bob Mandeville, retired as a two-star admiral, as a matter of fact. I was happy when he made Plague because he was, he was a great leader. He was a commander when I met him. And he, he, he brought us all along. And I sat there and watched what he did. And I also talked to him on the side. And he also gave me one of my great good lessons uh, in the military. Uh, I was a Navy ROTC graduate. I went, the, the Navy paid my way through college. I was the first, first person in my family to go to college. My, my parents were all very pleased. My dad was a hard worker that came from nothing and did wonderfully well, but no one had ever been to college. The Navy paid my way through school, so I owed them three and a half years or four years of service when I graduated. And they said, well, why not add another year and fly an airplane? So I did that. And then I went into the Navy and flew. And I did my job as best I could and I worked hard. And I decided, well, I have to pay my time back. I'm going to get a job and get out. My mother said, you know, shouldn't you get a real job when you're in the Navy like this? It's, you know, it's good to serve your country, but you have a real job. So I actually put in resignation papers to leave the Navy, and I got a job with IBM. I was going to go to work up in Poughkeepsie, New York, which where passion comes into. I wasn't passionate about it, although I was a, a math and physics major in college, and I liked quantitative things. And IBM in 19, this would have been 1967, was a very exciting place to be going. I mean, but nonetheless, it was, I wasn't passionate about it. Well, Bob Mandeville, this guy that was my mentor, pulled me aside one night and he said, Zap, why are you leaving the Navy? I said, well, because I, I should go get a job. He said, look, if you're leaving to go to something that you really want to go to do, I'm going to be your biggest backer. But if you're just leaving this to go do something else because you don't like necessarily what you're doing right now, he said, then I'm going to sit down and, and talk to you about it. So I said, well, talk to me. And so he said, well, you do a very good job. And I said, you know, Skipper, you're the first guy that's ever really pulled me aside and said that overtly to me, gave me that feedback. I said, I thought I was doing pretty well, but nobody. And he said, we really want you to stay in the Navy. And I want you to you know, make my Navy be better. And it was that thing that, that triggered me in a major way in my life that uh, that's been very important to me from now on. I always try to make, and I'm sure that there's anyone that's hearing or watching this that's worked for me and said, Zap never really said that to me, that, uh, but I surely, I apologize to them, but I have tried to make that a big thing, feedback on how you're doing. If you're doing well, people want to hear you're doing well. If you're not doing so well, it's even more important. I've always said it should never be a surprise when evaluation time comes around if I give you a bad evaluation. That's my fault because we should have talked about that well before so you'd have the chance to move on. But I took that one small thing, and that fits in two ways, Evan. The small example 
being that for me personally, I said, okay, I'm taking this away. They like me. I'm going to stay in the Navy. I withdrew my resignation papers and stayed for another 30 years, or actually 28 years. Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for more on Greater Good Radio. After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. Is the greatest part of your workday the leftover lasagna you packed for lunch? Is it quickly becoming apparent that you and everyone you know are smarter than your boss? Just how satisfying is it to wear an untucked shirt on Fridays? It's time you stopped filling a position and started being fulfilled with a job that excites you every day, not just payday. And now is the perfect time to demand more of the work week. The Honolulu Star Bulletin and Midweek work with Monster so you can live up to your potential right here. Your calling is calling. Find it at starclassifieds.monster.com. We're back with Admiral R.J. Zapps Latiper. What drives you to do that? Why did you want to stay in the military? I enjoyed the organization and the people. That it's rarely do you get a chance. I'm sure that there are organizations here in Hawaii, like the police force, that that are not they're motivated to serve and protect, if you will, for the the police force. The Navy, the the armed forces in the United States. Your purpose is to take care of all the citizens. There's no higher goal to, than to take care of the country. And so because of it, you tend to associate, and this was an all-volunteer force, uh, with men and women who were motivated to that same thing. And they're very high-quality people, well-educated, a lot of personal integrity, and you get to work on a daily basis with, the, with them, and it's just rewarding to do that. On top of that, then they gave me this beautiful jet airplane that they paid for, and they let me go out and fly it. And it was something that I enjoy flying airplanes a lot, I, and I happen to have a skill set for it. I always used to joke, I really would have liked to have been a power forward in the NBA, but I stopped growing a foot too soon, and I never got quick. So my basketball playing days are relegated to St. Anthony's on Sundays when we get a chance to go over here with old guys. At what age were you, and um, did you realize you wanted to be a pilot, and what attracted you to, to that? I started flying when I was in college. In my junior year, the Navy said, would you like to have some pilot lessons? I said, yeah, I, I've always it seemed to be an exciting thing to do. This was the early 60s. And uh, so I, I took some private pilot lessons, and I got my private pilot's license, and I liked it. And then when I went into the Navy, I said, for an extra year, I can fly planes in the, Air, in the U.S. Navy and have some. And I got into it, and I just, it's a very exciting thing to do. If you've ever seen the Blue Angels when they come out here to Kaneohe or the Barber's Point or something like that, it's just a very exciting thing. And uh, I was just fortunate enough, and, and I fall back. I call it, you could say luck, I call it fortune, to happen to have discovered it by flying. That it's something I was really passionate about. And you flew in combat? Yes, I did. So you were in dogfights and everything? Yeah. I, I flew uh, 150 missions in North Vietnam during Vietnam, and then I flew one combat mission in Iraq in Desert Storm. Well, what's the scariest time you ever had in that type of situation? Uh, what did you tell yourself in your mind to get through it? There were a couple of missions in... Vietnam, where we were going in to make a night. We, the plane I flew was a, a, a night all-weather attack bomber. We carried bombs to, to hit targets. 
and uh, we were going into Hanoi one night, and it was just a, a really bad night where all kinds of AAA were coming up and getting shot at us, and and our warnings, we had warning devices were all lit off saying there are missiles coming and the missiles came up from the left and from the right and you turn and you break and you move the airplane around so that you can't, but every time you do that you sort of slow the airplane down so where we started at 600 miles an hour after a couple of these we were about at 550, after a couple more at 400, at a couple more we were down to 300 and then finally we get down to about 200 knots and just barely hang, well you need a certain amount of speed to keep flying and the airplane was about to stall, and so I just rolled the wings level, and I said, you know, to my bombardier navigator, I said, Dick, I can't maneuver the airplane anymore. We don't have any energy left. And he's, so I said, but I'm not going to let, I'm not going to kill us. They're going to have to kill me. And so we just rolled the wings level, and for some strange reason, we got our speed back, uh, you know, and, and they didn't hit us. So, so that was the most personally frightening uh, that I can think of. Although there were several times during the day where you could see a lot more that were more frightening. It, it, however, uh, as an interesting aside, I took part in an experiment where, that the Navy ran where I flew 10 missions where I was totally wired up. I had uh, EKG things and they breathing and pulse rates and all this because they were trying to do a, a physiological study of pilots. And on one mission where we had several missiles shot at us and several uh, AAA anti-aircraft firings and all this thing, uh, I got pretty excited. And when I, when I came back and landed, we looked at all the, the indications and all my numbers, my blood pressure, my breathing rate, all went up a lot when they were shooting at us. But they went up a lot more when the night carrier landing than they did anything else, and I didn't realize that. And well, that's what an interesting thing they discovered was that the night carrier landing is the most physically stressing thing that a, a, a pilot does. Can you give us a little bit more in layman's terms what kind of landing that is and what happens? Uh, well, a, a, a night carrier land, an aircraft carrier of course is a thousand feet long but they have only 250 feet of it that you're supposed to land and four wires across and you come down and of course it, it, people have joked that it looks like a postage stamp in the middle of the ocean, which it does. And you practice a lot on the ground before you go out and do it the first time. And then you practice a lot on the ground at night before you go out and do it at night the first time. But essentially they have a little lit up area and they control you and you just keep your airplane on a, a reference that has a little, what we call the meatball, a light source. And you keep that lined up so that you know you're not high or low. And then you keep yourself on the middle and you just crash into the back of the carrier. And if you do it right, your wire, you'll catch one of the three or four wires. That's your goal. And that's a, an immediate goal. <laughs> you have a plan. I want to be smooth and control. Uh, my goal is yeah. to catch a wire no and work chance. real hard you, and breathe a lot more, and your blood pressure goes up a lot more than I had thought. Yeah, we had this um, conversation earlier on the Top Gun School, and some yes. said it, it existed, some said it didn't, but you actually participated in that. Yes, Top Gun was a, a school at Miramar, Naval Air Station Miramar, which is now a Marine Corps Air Station as we've gone through the consolidation. But the Navy discovered after uh, Vietnam that we were uh, losing, we weren't shooting down as many airplanes as an exchange rate is cost. How many enemy airplanes do we shoot down? If you look back to World War II, we had very high exchange rates. Our pilots would maybe six enemy fighters shot down for every one we lost, ten in some cases. Those numbers had shrunk. So they took a look and they said, we need 
to get back that edge, so they created Top Gun. And that was, the, they would take two of the best pilots out of each squadron, each fighter squadron, put them into Top Gun. They would go through that school. They would get six weeks of training on how to do dogfights and other kinds of things. A lot, it was a little glamorized in the movie, but basically the same kind of thing. And then those two pilots' job was to go back to their squadron and teach the other 12, plane, uh, 12 pilots what they had learned. And that sort of a viral marketing program, if you will. Were uh, you Top Gun? Well, that, that's, uh, that's just... Were a, you Maverick? You got, I was going to say, anybody that went through the school got to say they were a Top Gun graduate. Oh, okay. And so uh, there wasn't... Now, they would, I guess they would pick a guy that was the Top Gun. I, I don't know if that was true or not, but you, you got a patch that said Top Gun grad. And your job was then you'd go back, and your job was then to train. Now, I went through when I was becoming an Air Wing commander because I was going to be command of uh, a couple of fighter squadrons. So I, I wasn't one of the young lieutenants, and they were very, very good. Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for more on Greater Good Radio. After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. Neptune nights, we're feeling fine. We're staying cool on Hawaiian time. Neptune nights, the sunshine in your mouth. For bubble tea supplies in your home, at a party, or business, contact Bubble Tea Supply at 948-2622 or online at bubbletea.com. Audi sell his company to Akamai Technologies for $3 billion. Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who donates 6% of sales to make more money? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. How do you get 100 stores and 100 million in sales in less than 10 years? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who raised $50,000 in a few weeks for the tsunami relief? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. And all while benefiting the community. Greatergoodradio.com. You're listening to Greater Good Radio Hawaii. Please visit us online at greatergoodradio.com. Today's guest is Admiral R.J. Zapp-Slatterper. Zapp has received numerous honors and accolades during his tenure with the United States Navy and has performed equally well at the helm of several private sector companies. In the year 2000, he became the 24th trustee of the state of James Campbell after years of serving the military and the high technology sector. Most recently, you accepted the position of regent at Chaminade University. How did you get involved in Chaminade and why is this important to you? It's interesting. I, my wife and I were talking about passions. And uh, I think my passion is to do well in whatever I, I do. That's a strange way to put it, isn't it? It's almost a process kind of thing. I don't want to do anything and do it poorly. But if you needed a, an area that I think matters, I would say I'm probably more passionate about education than I am of any other type of area. And the reason is I think that is the great leveler for all of human, humankind. Education is an investment that you never lose on. And it's the way to raise people from poverty. It's the way to sustain people who are doing well 
is and and it's the way for us to make the the tide rise for all the, all human humankind, and so uh, Shamanad here is is a very important part of our community, and uh, I. Uh, had had a relationship with uh, Marianas University, uh, Marianas High School. I went to a high school that was taught by the same order that that uh, sponsors Shamanad out here. So when I had an opportunity to, I spoke at their graduation some ten years ago. And then I came back here five years later, and they asked me to join their board, and it was a natural to do because I wanted to be involved in education. I'm on the board of uh, two other universities back on the mainland. I, I think that education is just vitally important for all of us. And I, you spend your whole life, you're either a teacher or a student your whole life. You know? And if you aren't, then you ought to be because then you're just stagnating. Were you giving back to the community when you were younger also? I guess it was parental drive, yes. Yeah, I was, I was a Boy Scout where I, the one thing I learned was always leave the campsite in a better shape than when you came to it. And that's probably one of the hip pocket things I carry with me. You know, never, even to the point now that I, I try to spruce up any any room that I leave, or, but or more importantly, leave every organization better than you can. And uh, the a product of my education, uh, I went through to a boys' high school, but part of theirs was community service is very important, and it, so it got imbued in me. And I've I've done that. And I interestingly, the squadrons in the Navy I, I've been involved in, I've been amazed at at the volunteer work that they've all done. Uh, at Sanchez, we, uh, the, the company, we sponsored uh, runs, AIDS runs, and, uh, and we're very much involved in the community there. And, and we actually did whatever. We had a little corporate fund set aside to help people with what their own was. And then if you move out now to the Campbell Estate, I think we have 100% participation of every employee at the Campbell State in some community organization. And the Campbell Foundation itself gives, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars a year to community things. So would you say that's a prerequisite for your leadership then? They have to be uh, engaged I, in the community? Yes. I, I think uh, giving back is, is a very important, you know, from those of us who have so much give back and help others. I, it, I'm, I'm trying to do the same thing for my kids. I, I call it the stand on my shoulders, my son syndrome. We, we talked a little bit before about that, Evan, where if you've done well, helping your, your offspring to do better, they use you as a foundation to move on. And, and, and that's the same kind of thing. And, and community service is just something. And it also makes you feel better, too. I, I've never met anybody that did that helped somebody that didn't feel better about it after they've done it. So if you want to feel good, you know, let the guy who's trying to cut cut over in, on H1, let him come in. He feels good. You let him in, and he'll wait. He'll give you a shotgun. Yeah, thank you. And you wave back. He feels good. You let him in happily. You feel good. You let him in. You both go away happier. And he got there 25 feet sooner than you did. I I, I can never understand on on the expressway. Why you know. You know, just those things, and and that's a trite way, but right up through uh, working through your community foundations, your churches, it's just part of a mature and happy life, I think. Thanks for joining us today on Greater Good Radio. For more information or a transcript of today's show, please visit us online at greatergoodradio.com. This is your host, Evan Leong and Carrie Leong, saying please join us next time for another episode of Greater Good Radio, Hawaii.